Hello. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Excellent. Uh, let, so, me, let me adjust my microphone so it's not uh, so I'm not blowing in it every time I say something. So now you're you're but you're recording this from home. I am recording this from home. But you have a microphone at home now? Well, no, like my little microphone headset. Oh, Edemotics. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it was it was not Edemotics. Uh, what's the it called? Plantronics. Yeah, one it, of those X. The yes, it was an X. If the uh, the little microphone arm was was almost up my nose. <laughs> so, and that was. I'm pretty sure that's not sanitary. It's not sanitary. It's not. Um, it's not in the uh, five by five handbook. Uh, record on, with it up your nose? Yeah, I don't think so. I, no, I don't. I, th- I think Dan wouldn't like that at all. No, he'd be upset. He they don't do it that way in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what that means. Um, so, <laughs> So what? Uh, so what, what's new? What's going on? Did I speaking of putting things up your nose? Did uh, I? Uh, was that something I read on Barf Blog about, or did I send it to you? Something about boogers? Yeah, I don't know if you sent it to me, but I read something last week about boogers about yeah. about kids eating boogers and uh, that it uh, exposes them to the environment, the pathogens, and um, I guess microflora in the environment around them, and it's uh, it's good for the immune system. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which, which is, intuitively, I mean, it, it's it's pretty hard to argue with that. That's a, it's a good point. <laughs> I, yes. Uh, yes. I, I have two children that that are, I, I think, uh, can, uh, um, they've bought in. They're, <laughs> they, <laughs> they have. They're. they're <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're all right. I just I made you cough there. That was good. Let me have another drink here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're they're all they're 100 percent in on that. Um, so all in on boogers. All in on boogers. Yeah. Um, in in fact, um, Sam, the the youngest, the youngest crazy child, um, decided, um, I don't know when it was, someday this week, that he would just grab Danny's hand while she was lying in bed. You know, kids get up in the morning and. You try and let them run around a little bit and, and stay in bed. And she was on her, uh, um, she had her computer and her hand was like, you know, to the side of the bed. And Sam grabbed her hand and then stuck her finger in his nose. So, <laughs> as you do, as you do, yeah. So that was, I, I thought that was pretty good. It's pretty, it's, it, it's, uh, he's, he's a bit of a, a bit of a risk taker, that one. <laughs> so yeah, I read about, read about the boogers. There was something else that was good this week in the news. What was it? That was not like uh, food safety related. I can't remember what it was, but there was some other sort of pathogen thing. Did you put it in show notes? No, I didn't. I didn't put it in show <sighs> it's notes. Such like a slacker. I know I am. There's uh, though you you've got something good in show notes here that we'll uh, we'll get to later on. Uh, that that was also in the news on the germi- germiest kitchen appliances. And you Ugh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's just almost got me angry enough to write a blog post. <laughs> Almost. Look, I would if I hadn't been uh, tied up uh, with um, uh, attracting professors to our department this week, I would have uh, harassed you into uh, writing a blog post. Yeah. Well, but but I, we already talked about that. Well, and yeah, and we we both had a busy week, so we did. We did. 
but I'm glad we could have the time to do this. This is good. So yeah, so my schedule changed at the last minute. Your your schedule for the last couple of days, and it seems for the next couple of days is going to be crazy, and and mine is too. But I'm I'm really, I would have been bummed if we couldn't make conflicts. Oh, I know because you're 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 gone all next week, right? Like this would have been we would have had a almost a, a four week gap. Yeah, that, so, we can't have that. No, we can't have that. The the people won't allow it. No, the fans would be rioting no, in the streets. They would. They would. They'd be flipping cars over. <laughs> they would be uh, looting. Um, and, uh, and really some of them would just, would just get depressed. Um, so, and we can't have that. We, no, we, we play to the fans. Um, yep. So, so, uh, I want to, before we get too far into follow-up or or even get into any follow-up, I want to tell you very quickly about, um, you know, since, since we, we own this piece of media, we can talk about whatever we want. Um, I, uh, uh, I have watched over the last week um, a set of hockey games um, <laughs> uh, because it is the Stanley Cup playoffs for the National Hockey League. And before you ask, that is the one where you kick the field goals with the uh, large uh, orange ball. I'm pretty sure that's not right. That's true. It's true. You don't. I grew up not far from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you played hockey when you were a kid. I did, yeah. I did, and I, and I watched uh, I watched lots of Canadians play on the Cornell team. Oh, like Ken Dryden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wrote a really? Um, oh, uh, we'll get back to Ken in a second. Um, so, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, my my hometown team, uh, are in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in nine years. Um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, by the time our listeners get this. Um, they're still playing though. I'm not, I'm not optimistic, but I've watched, um, four hockey games with emotion, (laughs) you know, not just like, Oh, this is entertaining, but really with this, this, uh, this odd feeling of, man, I don't want to watch. It's making me nervous and including an overtime game last night. And these first four games with emotion are really the first, first time that that's happened in, in nine years. And it was very odd. Um, and I missed it, so I just wanted to I wanted to share that with you that um, my uh, my non podcast food safety time has been really focused on on uh, Toronto Maple Leafs hockey and and everything around it. So and it's been it's been good. Well, that that's nice. And actually, another person that I only know through the internet um, is also very excited about hockey, but for a different reason, I think. And that's uh, in the fade. Uh, Michelle right. Catalano is very excited that her uh, her Islanders are, I think, also something to do with hockey, right? Exactly. Am I right about that? Okay. That's correct. And now, are, are are they? Is it, it's not down to the two teams, though, right? No, no, no. We're we're at sixteen teams. Sixteen. Yeah, I know. It seems it seems ridiculous when you say that. Um, and this is May. Isn't the ice melted by no, now? No, no. This is the it's the good time. This is when the ice is great. It's, it doesn't uh, make any sense. Well, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't have to make sense, Don. Okay. It just, it just right. is. But yeah, uh, Michelle Catalano. I, I follow her on on Twitter and um, and read her. She writes. Uh, for Forbes, right? Or no, no. What's what's the? No, she quit her Forbes job. Quit, that's right. Um, but she she writes and has another job, which I don't know if anybody knows what her real day job is. It's it's working in some sort of government agency, helping people that apparently are idiots. So yeah, near as I've been able, I've been able to determine. So <laughs> that's awesome. That, that could be uh, multiple guesses at that one. Um, 
but uh but yeah i I follow her and she gets up really early and writes and really loves hockey and we seem to share very similar musical tastes and so i'm i'm excited for her also having some emotion her team has uh not made the team for i think only five years um and and (laughs) so so it's it's i'm still i'm sure it's still emotional but um yeah, she seems very excited. So I, I really, I really don't care. But I'm, I'm excited that both of you are excited. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Well, let's move, let's move into follow up um, from from last time, and uh, um, I we we got a couple of uh, cool little um, tidbits, I guess, uh, that have popped up uh, since our last uh, our last recording, and one is. Um, that uh, one of our friends and, and colleagues who who we know from the food safety world who happens to be very very active on LinkedIn um, uh, said uh, shared when you posted uh, that we had a new uh, episode or up um, she shared that uh, it, that our podcast is worth a listen which is cool and her name is Donna Garen yeah so yeah so huge uh, huge uh, shout out to to Donna for that so yeah so one of the things about um, the new Squarespace website is it has a little feature where you can go to a new um, uh, a new posting and you can share that posting either on uh, Twitter or Facebook or turns out LinkedIn now I think I think we've talked about LinkedIn so and up until Donna <laughs> shared that, I I was pretty certain, and I'm still not completely convinced, but I, I I'm pretty sure that LinkedIn is a complete waste of time. Um, I I'm getting I get I get like three, four, five messages a day from people that want to connect with me on LinkedIn, and mostly they're people I don't know. Now, mostly they are people somehow related to the food industry. Um, and so I, I think about it for a little while and then I kind of look at their profile and then usually I just say, okay, that's fine. You know, whatever you can, it's not a friend or it's right. not a follow or whatever. It's, I don't know, whatever the, it's a link or whatever it is on LinkedIn. Um, and I've just, I just was like, and I'm, I just was like, I, I just need to get, I just need to quit LinkedIn. It's just a complete waste of time. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, this is, this is my way to, podcast fame and glory <laughs> right exactly a whole new audience let's put, yeah. let's put it up so let's so let's start yeah let's start spamming those uh, linkediners <laughs> I, it seems like people like it i i've you know it's it's funny i've i, I spend little time on it and I, yeah i think we talked about it a little bit i i same thing i'll get um not, i'm not nearly as popular as you i will only get maybe three or four requests a week um and i just let them sit there and then every once in a while I'll go and add people into it and, and connect. But, but what, I mean, I think it's like, I think people use it. I mean, I, you know, we don't, but I th- it seems like people <laughs> post things. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, if we can get more people listening, that's cool. But it's, it's crazy. Like there, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like Facebook. Yeah. Well, and it, and it definitely is exponential. I think because the more people, that want to connect with me, it seems the more people want to connect with me, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, you kind of reach a point where, like, suddenly you appear to be a hot property. So you, you're showing up in, oh, like, this guy Schaffner, he, he like, never turns down a connection. So you get promoted <laughs> or something. Um, so I'm sure there's some sort of weird, weird thing like that. But, um, yeah, and apparently there's, a, there's an IAFP food safety discussion list or something on LinkedIn, which uh, David Tharp who's the IAFP executive director. Um, he's talked about he monitors it and, and tries to, you know, if there's like spam or ads or stuff, he, he you know, he, he goes in and deletes those. But, but apparently, yeah, it's, there's an active 
discussion. I personally, I can't handle any more discussion or communication in my life. It's all that's all I can do to keep up with my email and a little bit of Tumblr and a little bit of Twitter and and then app.net and then Facebook and I don't I don't need <laughs> God that's a lot and, then, um, and LinkedIn and, and then MySpace and, and, and yeah and MySpace right <laughs> but um, LinkedIn jump jump the shark for me. Um, la, uh, yesterday, actually, yesterday, the day before, um, cause my dad, uh, added me on LinkedIn oh. and, 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 and the best part about my dad adding me on LinkedIn is that my dad's retired. Um, so, so he doesn't, he doesn't have a job <laughs> um, need to connect with anybody. No, he's, he's just looking and, and then he endorsed my, my skills and expertise this morning. Oh, that's the best. My that's, dad did that. So did I, did I share with you that, uh, people have endorsed, <laughs> endorsed my skill in food? No. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So apparently I'm good at food. Well, I have, um, let, let's see what my, mine are uh, endorsed. Science, student affairs, university teaching, distance learning. What do I? I don't know anything about this. My, but I, what? What? Anyway, my dad endorsed me, which is kind of like, you know, yeah, <laughs> of course, my dad endorsed me. He's my dad. <laughs> it's easy. That, that's what dads do. Um, but I, I, I think student affairs. That's one of the things that you can get detenured for. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think I. Ha- yeah. I shouldn't have that in here. I don't know what's going on. Um, Jerry, um, so I, uh, my dad, yeah, my dad endorsed me in higher education research and three more skills. I wonder if one of them was like, you know, um, uh, NHL playoff trivia. <laughs> so I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, the, the best part about this, um, for me was that my, so my dad is, he's retired. He was a, he's this, uh, elementary school teacher for 32 years. Oh, yeah, how, was, how, how about that? I did yeah. not realize that my, my mom was a kindergarten teacher oh, for her whole career. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, and so, I mean, if we, if we go down the, um, people we know in food safety, whose parents were teachers, Doug's mom was also a kindergarten teacher for, Oh, Oh, that's, that's creepy. Yeah. It's it's weird. Um, so, but for the last four years, my dad has been working at a golf a golf course as a starter. So it's his, his profile is list, listed as golf starter. At Baxter. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Well, it's, it's like, he shoot a gun or something. No, no, it, it, but he, that would make him more useful. If, he basically not, not that my dad's not useful just in this position. And for all the golf starters out there that listen to us, uh, I apologize for if that was offensive, but um, what he does is he directs people um, from, from the clubhouse to the first tee or sometimes the 10th tee uh, and um, basically says, uh, okay, it's time for you to tee off. <laughs> okay. So he's like kind of in charge of like traffic control at the yeah, golf course. That's a better, yeah, that's a better way to put it. Traffic oh. control. But it's, that's called a starter. Huh? It's called a starter. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, he's, I guess he's looking for, um, for connections around other golf starters. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It was anyway, that was, that was the end of LinkedIn for me. It's kind of where, it, where it hit. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, I, that being said, I, I appreciate that Donna, Donna Garen really uses it. I don't know if you've like sort of checked in and followed her, her, uh, profile. Like she shows up on my homepage more than anybody and she's very active. Like she's posting a lot of, 
food safety related news stuff. Huh. Oh, um, that's good. I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad somebody's getting some use out of it. No, mostly I just look at my email and I see that I have connections and then I, I accept those connections. And that's pretty much the limit of my interaction with LinkedIn. Although I did get a message from them saying that I was some kind of a special person because I had so many connections. Wow. That's, yeah. Did you get a gold card for that? Is oh, I, they called it something. I don't remember what it was called. I'll, I'll look it up here. I don't remember. It was some. It was some sort of uh, accolade. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Um, you realize that you just adding people to LinkedIn is analogous to Linda just downloading the podcast and not listening and, to and, it. And I am completely fine with that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh yes. So well, here we go. Um, so. It's the, the subject header said, Don, comma, thank you, exclamation mark. Okay, so it's right in the subject. It has my name. You and your 957 connections made this day possible. Wow. LinkedIn celebrates you on our 10th anniversary. Wow. And then there's a video link, which I didn't watch. And then there's a whole bunch of pictures of people that I know, um, like uh, Don Zink and David Tharp and... Paul Hall and Bob Buchanan and some other people that I don't know that are apparently are also my LinkedIn buddies or whatever they're called. Well, that's, that's incredible. Congratulations linkies. on the... They're called linkies. Link, linkies. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the accolades. Thanks. Um, thanks. That's, uh, that's up there with some of the other awards that you've won. Oh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of... Speaking of awards that I've won, um, this I don't know if this is meaningful to any of our listeners, um, but I, I was while I was in Oregon, I got a call from uh, the what is his title? He is the council executive from the Monmouth Council Boy Scouts, uh, telling me that I had been selected as a Silver Beaver. I saw that uh, you posted this on Facebook. I, so tell I me. did. I did. So what is what does a Silver Beaver mean? Well, we'll we'll link to this. Uh, we'll link to the Wikipedia page. But basically, it's a it's a council level award, uh, may, as I explained to Kristen, a major award. Major, um, excellent. Um, that uh, um, that's a, that's a Christmas story reference. <laughs> but we'll link to that movie too. Um, it's just it's recognition of the the service that I've done uh, for the for the Boy Scouts over the whatever the, the time that I've been I've been doing it. So. Well, congratulations! Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a, it means it's it's a it means a lot. It's a, it's a big deal in Boy Scout circles, which means that it really doesn't mean much for the rest of the world. Yeah, but that's it's important for you. You spend a lot of time in Boy Scout circles, um, so it's uh, that's cool. That's that's great. Is it like a like a lifetime achievement award kind of thing? <clears throat> is this a, or is it a, for a specific event? No, it's it's for it's for like sustained productivity um so this is so i'm reading from the wikipedia page now the silver beaver award is the council level distinguished service award of the boy scouts of america recipients of this award are registered adult leaders who've made an impact in the lives of youth through service given to the council oh cool so yeah it's 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 like i said it's it's kind of a it's kind of a dorky looking award. It's got a picture. It's got a little beaver. Wow, <laughs> it's on a it's on a medallion, and it's uh, anyway. It's nice. That's cool. That's great. So is this? Um, it looks like uh, from the picture, it's got like a, a ribbon. So is it something that you kind of attach to your uh, Boy Scout uh, regalia? It, well, you know, it used to be a pin, okay. but it's so darn heavy that they made it into like they put it around a, a, a neck, uh, like like a like a, a Olympic medal. Medal, you know, it's got like a little necklace, a neck uh, neck thing on it. So yeah. 
cool. Awesome. Hey, that's yeah. good. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's nice. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, all the dorky boy scout stuff aside, um, I really do. I mean, and obviously I do a lot of service. I mean, I'm a journal editor and, and professional in the uh, IAFP, you know, um, executive board. So I do, I really do believe in the value of service. And, and I mean, you know, all, all joking aside that this has been, that's been something that's been very important to me in my professional career as a food safety professional is to, is to serve the association or to serve my, my colleagues, you know, voluntary service. I think, I think that's, I think that's really a good thing. And we should, we should recognize that. And we do, we do, we recognize that within, within IAFP and, and obviously within the Boy Scouts and, and other associations as well. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's excellent. It's good to, it, it um, you know, I know volunteers and those that are involved with service organizations don't do it to be recognized, but it's, it, it's always nice when, when that recognition occurs. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, congratulations. So thanks. That's great. Um, so, yeah. And so, and while they're, and while they're be giving out the awards to the other people that won, um, I'm going to be in Brazil. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. It's almost but, but, almost like your own. Uh, you want a trip? Yeah, but they but they, they said that didn't get me out of it. That they're going to find another time to give me the award. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, so I I know we haven't talked about TV shows for a second mm -hmm. <laughs> yet yet today. Um, but I want to mention something. I, I can't remember mm. if we talked about this, but um, are, are you a, an Arrested Development fan? Are you... I have watched a, a few episodes over the years, but I would not certainly call myself a fan. So it, the entire catalog is on Netflix, um, and and it's and Netflix is uh, uh, has bought or commissioned uh, in a new season, so it's only going to appear on Netflix, oh, and it wow. starts uh, uh, May twenty sixth, which is very exciting in my household because uh, hmm. it's probably um, you know one of one of our top. You know, time all all time favorite shows, and and it's one. Danny and I are like really bad, not bad, but like there's so much always new stuff to watch that we very rarely rewatch things. And uh, but Arrested Development, I've I have watched that uh, the entire series over. So hmm. um, yeah, so it's so it's so it's exciting. If you're looking for something new, check out Arrested Development. Go, I mean, watch watch the the entire thing. Um, uh, I think it's like 40, 40 episodes or something, the whole series, but it's, it's so exciting. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I've stalled in my round two of the wire. Mm. Um, and then I also, um, I, I'm trying to start watching adventure time because apparently that's what all the cool kids are watching. So, um, I'm, I'm not successfully doing that either. So there's a lot of things that I am not, not successfully watching. But well, and I think I'm gonna not successfully watch Crown of No Game of Great Game, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. Um, although what I've read on the internet this last week is that lots of people who love it aren't really sure what's going on. Like, hmm. <laughs> like enjoy it a lot, but don't really know what's what 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 is happening. What, hmm. It's confusing. So that's that's almost kind of exciting too. Well, should we talk about food safety? We should. Do you want to do some more follow up yeah, first? Okay. Yeah, let's do some more follow up here. Um, so, uh, also as follow up, we got a, um, uh, a, a nice tweet from our friend, uh, Brian Souders, uh, mm -hmm. at the New York, uh, department of agriculture, I think, and maybe consumer of services, um, ag and markets, ag and markets. That's what it is. Um, and, uh, he he uh, tweeted us some an awesome link to uh, a, a podcast about uh, food and rock. 
um, Food is the New Rock podcast, and actually uh, spent some time, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know when it was, Monday, Tuesday this week, as I was driving home, uh, listening a little bit to uh, to one of the podcasts with uh, My Morning Jacket, and mm-hmm. and it's cool. It's I don't know if you had a chance to, to listen to it, but it's... Uh, no, that was one of the ones that I was thinking about checking out, but no, again, I have no time for new podcasts in my in my podcast listening schedule, so... Well, but uh, but yeah, I saw it and I did. I I almost downloaded one. So, but how, what'd you think of it? I liked it. I liked it. I mean, it's a uh, it's really. I mean, it's described as what it is. It's rock stars talking about food and where they like to eat and what types of foods they they like. And um, there, I mean, uh, you know, um, artists seem to be really involved in in different food movements. Uh, there was a guy. Um, I wrote about this on Barf Blog, and I'll get uh, Andreas the link for the show notes, but um, a drummer from a punk band, um, I can't remember if it was Against Me or Rise Against or something, uh, uh, back uh, about six or seven years ago, started the uh, Freeganism uh, movement, the uh, dumpster diving, Mm -hmm. uh, and wrote a book on how to do it and um, has some safety stuff in it. So I I think that that rock and roll and, and... our artists and food seem to go hand in hand because foods, you know, as much as we work in the technical side of food, it is uh, very much an emotional and sometimes very artistic uh, thing. So it's yeah, so it was pretty good. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, um, it, it was it was a, it, an interesting listen. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting premise for the show. So they either they either talk about food with a musician or talk about music with a food person. Right. So I mean, I, I I like the I like the premise. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of like what we do. We talk about music and television with food, with food people. We are yes. um, Don and Ben are the new rock dot com. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good stuff. Um, so uh, you've got something else in, in follow up here about uh, Gojo. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, well, so this is like I guess follow up, follow up, um, because I, I I think in the last episode, which uh, would hopefully be posting soon. Um, I talked about my visit to Gojo, but but one of the things that they mentioned is this University of Iowa uh, Computational Epidemiology Group, and this is I, and we may we may have uh, inadvertently talked about this group before, or, or advertently talked about this group before. But basically, this is a, a, a group of people at the University of Iowa, and which is you know not not far from uh, not far from uh, Ohio, I guess those all those. States in the Midwest that have four letters in their name. I think they're all pretty close to each other. <laughs> it's, it was the founding fathers did that on purpose. I think so, um, but uh, but they they have they're actually some and so they've been working with the Gojo folks um, and they've been doing some pretty cool things that that are kind of related to some things that we've talked about. So um, and again, more work around healthcare type stuff, which which is in the in the wheelhouse of the of the Gojo folks. But um, so some of the stuff they've talked about is. Um, Let's see. Uh, inferring social networks from electronical medical record system logins, building social networks of healthcare worker and patient interactions, uh, vaccine strategies based on social network analysis, um, uh, monitoring hand hygiene behavior. Okay, so that's the one that's right, right, straight up our alley. Um, using a mobile computer platform to record hand hygiene data. Um, so, so uh, monitoring public perceptions of infection control control measures. Again, so looking at um, uh, getting information out to people around uh, when there's a flu outbreak. So, again, so just some really interesting. Looks like some really interesting stuff going on in that group. So, yeah. I just wanted to to mention that. Yeah, that's cool. I uh, until you 
had um, thrown this link in there. I hadn't uh, come across um, this group before, but it seems like some of the stuff that they've uh, put out are things that that have that I've seen and we've picked up through uh, um, through Barf Blog, especially on that um, the last one uh, that you mentioned on the monitoring public perception and infection control measures. That I, I seem to remember um, seeing something out of Iowa about that. So it was uh, hmm. yeah, um, I can't remember. Uh, this talks about H1N1, but I think it had to do with um, the avian influenza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, cool stuff. And then uh, we have another. We have another podcast fan, um, and they didn't. They, it was this came in, I think, via email, and I think I cc'd you on the reply. And they didn't say we could say their name, but uh, so their name actually isn't in the show notes. But uh, this is uh, somebody writing into us um, who says, uh, "quote As a jack of all trades, rural sanitarian, the podcast fulfills my need for pop culture, nerd humor, and food safety info. If you still have some magnets, please send some my way." So, so thanks, uh, thanks to that person for reaching out and for. Asking for magnets, I still I still do have a boatload of magnets. So if anybody would like magnets, uh, please uh, please email me or email Ben. I finally 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 did get uh, magnets um, uh, sent off to uh, Renee. Oh, at, fantastic! Uh, at uh, VPI or Virginia Tech, as I guess they'd like to now be known. So R- Renee Boyer's uh, lab, her students have some magnets, uh, which they should have already. And then uh, I'm also going to get some magnets uh, sent off real soon to this this first person who requested them by email. Awesome. Well, um, when we got that that message uh, in from the um, uh, unnamed uh, rural sanitarian, um, it came at a similar time to when you sent me a link about um, some stuff about uh, T-shirts. And so it's all all in the plans. You will see T-shirts at IAFP, um, and and those who are um, who are fans and happen to be at that meeting and would like one, uh, you know, please please let me know. Uh, but I'm I'm going to rip off a, a bunch of them. But I actually thought that the tagline that's perfect, and I haven't haven't done it yet. I haven't decided. Um, is um, food safety talk fulfilling your need for pop culture, nerd humor, and food safety info. <laughs> there you go. I loved it. I thought that was great. Like that's in that order. That's what we do. That's that's the pull quote. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the pull quote. Uh, above the fold. <laughs> oh, um, hey. So there's one more thing I had in, in follow up that I added mm-hmm. uh, today, and that was um, a, a group that that we talked about a lot, and really probably. Uh, the biggest reason why we even have this podcast, I mean, from my side of things, you probably would have had a podcast with somebody else. Um, but um, the uh, IAFP Student Professional Development Group uh, put out a newsletter, spring newsletter, um, uh, last last week or a uh, week and a half ago. And they had interviewed um, all of the past chairs of uh, the food safety professional development group and the student student group. Uh, and so um, I was one of those and our good friend, Michelle Daniluk was another one and our other good friend, uh, Renee Boyer, uh, was another one. And there is a long line of, of folks, Callie, uh, Keneal, uh, at Delaware, uh, as well. But you were also, you had, so they had little blurbs on all the, uh, um, the past chairs, but you had a whole one page about you. <laughs> well, it wasn't, wasn't really about me. Well, it was, it was, um, it was your, your, it was your material. It was good. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so the the current uh, the current chair of the student PDG, or I think it was that's who it was, had asked me, you know, would you write? I think they were just they needed something to fill the fill the space. But she said, so you you did this talk at the IAFP last year on meeting tips for students and first timers at the annual meeting. You made a webinar. Could you also now uh, write up an article for? Uh, uh, for this uh, for this newsletter on on this topic, and I was like, yeah, I could I could do that. That would be easy. So um, I had some fun. I wrote that I wrote that article, kind of plugged the uh, uh, plugged the webinar, but also you know made made the offer to people. I think uh, you know come up to me and I'll buy you a drink. I forget what I said, but I, you know I, I just tried to basically encourage students to, and I shared some of the the key tips from the from the talk and from the webinar. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that I just that was just a great opportunity i was really glad that she uh, she asked me to do that well it was good and and you i mean uh, i um saw you give the the talk and um i i don't think i actually listened to the webinar i might have um but you you said uh one really similar thing uh to what i sort of wanted to get across during the um the questionnaire that they asked me to fill out and that was the the student professional development group is great but really where the the, the real, I mean, for me, some of the real work and some of the real key relationships come is, is participating in the, the other professional development groups as a student and as a, as a young professional or, or whatever, whenever people are in their, um, in their career. And I was, uh, you know, when I, when I saw your comment and then, um, saw mine, it was like, oh, that's, we, that's, it's so true that it, it matters getting involved. And it's, I mean, it's the, the commitment is, um, it, 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 the the time commitment doesn't even feel like a commitment because you get lots back. Like it's not, um, it, it's not like a oh I'm gonna, I'm going to go to another meeting and listen to a whole bunch of people talk. It is a it's actually very very um, uh, rewarding and a, and a good place for discussion. At least in in the ones that I've been uh, part of, it's it's some of my favorite uh, times of the meeting. And in fact, why I go in, you know, every year early, um, to, so I've I've never sort of missed one of those. I. Uh, Oh yeah, go ahead, Don. No, I was going to say it, it's kind of you know back to the, the the comments about the the silver beaver and volunteering. I mean, it's I mean that's the lifeblood of the association, right? The people that get together, that really care, that come in a day early, that meet to talk about. Well, okay, so what? What symposia are we going to plan for next year? What can we do that's really cool? And and how can you know? I mean, it's all. I mean, I hate to I hate to say that you know don't go to the symposia and don't go to the technical sessions, but standing in the hallway and talking to people and networking is just such an important part of this meeting and other meetings. I mean, by all means, you know, go and get educated and 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 you know you know do all that good science stuff. But so much of it is is like talking to people and meeting new people. I mean, that's the most exciting thing. So if I see somebody that I know talking to somebody that I don't know, it's like, oh wow, I can go, I can go now. I can go meet a new a new person. Well, yeah, and that was, I, I mean, the the point of the story that I shared with them in the in the newsletter was exactly that. The first time I went there as a student, I didn't do any of that, and I, in fact, that's that's what I wrote. I was like, I probably wasted my first meeting. You know, I presented a technical session, went to presentations, but I didn't go meet anybody or, or really talk to anyone until very much at the end of the, uh, um, the meeting. I sure I went to, um, social events where I could, um, gather free drinks, but I really just, 
um, gathered those free drinks. <laughs> oh, my, my, uh, my, my seminal memory of you is not in gathering free drinks, but in giving out free drinks. Um, I still remember yeah. that well, while you were a student, there was some, the student mixer that you were in charge of, and you literally had hundreds of drink tickets in your pockets and in your pockets, and you were just giving them out to people that you wanted to have free drinks. Yep. It seemed like a really <laughs> bad idea to give me that type of responsibility. Well, <laughs> It depends on your point of view. True, true. I um, I, I think that, I think that I do have to say though. After that, they it, changed the rule. They did they did? And <laughs> and it was yes, it absolutely. Uh, I uh, there is a new rule named after me. That, yeah, that yeah. the students are no longer allowed to hand out the drink tickets. No, I, I I liken that a little bit to when when I was in high school, I was the uh, um, like student council president, but of course in Canada we call it the prime minister. And for what, for whatever reason, when we were, when we had dances, um, you know, un, underage drinking and teen drinking and drinking before dances were, you know, I think is a universal situation. And I, I was like the first line of defense. Like I was the, the, okay, you know, you go out there and, and check to make sure that people aren't coming in drunk. And of course I'm not going to say anything. So people are coming in and I'm just like, okay, uh, you know, l- l- you know, look in my eyes. Okay. You're too drunk. You need to go home or, um, okay, come on in. Yep. Yep. Everything is good. So there, there are certain pieces of responsibility that maybe I end up with that I probably should never, um, I'm, I may not be making the decisions that those who put me in the, that position but, wish but, I would make. But wait, but you're, you're telling me that you actually executed that responsibility as a responsible person and did send home drunk people. I, I did more mainly because, yeah, I didn't want them to um, uh, get. I, I guess that's true. I guess the the the, the peer policing was maybe a, what the what the point was, as opposed to having a teacher and then them having to deal with, um, you know, if they they couldn't send them home with a warning. Where I yeah, cul- culpable deniability. Right, right. <laughs> as, as a peer. Okay, well, that's a good point. Yeah, but but there is definitely a uh, a large portion of people that I knew had been drinking um, that I still let in. So well, as long as they weren't drinking too much. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Uh, anyway, um, so. Uh, well, let's let's move on. Oh, wait, wait. We can't go. We we can't go on without doing bug trivia. Oh. We have to do bug trivia. Doodle doodle bug trivia. <laughs> That's good. I was going to ask you to do that, and I, I was going <laughs> to imagine that you you actually wouldn't be able to do it the same. But I think you did it exactly the yeah, same. I'm I'm set. We don't even need to drop a an audio there. There's no yeah. There's not, nothing. I'm just I'll just do it the same way every time. Well, I, I think given that we started with boogers, the only possible bug left to do in terms of bug trivia would be staff aureus. It's, it's clear. That's where we need to go. So, as as Carl, and again, we all all do all do. Uh, all do uh, uh uh, props to Carl Custer, who I'm not sure what prompted this, except that I think Carl sometimes gets inspired and then just sits down at his keyboard and like slams out a bunch of words and then emails it out to people he knows. Um, uh, but but uh, so he sent us a, a, sent a bunch of people, including including us, a text file uh, a number of uh, a number of weeks ago entitled "Bug Trivia," or I've entitled it "Bug Trivia" from Carl Custer, and uh, it's just it's just stuff that uh, Carl has called from the literature or that no he knows. From his personal experience, so so the the bug uh, the bug for this week is Staphylococcus aureus. Uh, Staph aureus is ubiquitous in the human environment, and it, freq- it is and is frequently found in the human and other mammal buccal cavities. Mm. Now, 
I guess that is a buccal cavity. Is that a nose? It is relating. I had to Google this Googled it immediately. Uh, relating to the cheeks or mouth cavity. There we go. And there um, are, oh, don't Google image search that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a warning. <laughs> Okay, so we will uh, we will, we will uh, uh, put a link in the the show notes to uh, buccal cavities, but but we will tell people not to link on it uh, to uh, to look at it. So yeah, right, they can look at the at the Wikipedia oh, page, but the buccal cavities that's yeah. uh, pretty interesting. Um, okay, yes. um, so uh, staph is infectious and is generally the cause of boils. Um, in food, it produces an, enter- an enterotoxin that is heat resistant, and again, that's uh, you know this this is really kind of an interesting thing about staph that it does produce a heat resistant enterotoxin. I was actually talking to somebody today, um, a woman from uh, Johnson and Wales that was talking about. Um, actually, it's kind of a, a callback to that. Uh, I think the most recent. Barf blog blog post that I wrote, which was years ago, uh, Nathan Mervold yeah. and this whole uh, cooking nonsense, and and so this woman who works at Johnson and Wales has a bunch of her her colonology students that want to do these low temperature, long time uh, cooking processes, and and her concern, justifiably so, was well. So you're you're heating it slowly. How long is it in the danger zone until you get up to the temperature uh, where cooking starts? And and I talked about well, Clostridium perfringens is probably the most important risk. But I also mentioned staff. And and the issue with staff is if you if you heat it slow enough during that time through the danger zone and staff is able to grow. And again, staff's a poor competitor, so maybe maybe it, it won't. But but if it does grow and it does get up to high levels, it produces a toxin. That toxin is heat resistant and then it doesn't matter what you do in terms of the rest of the cooking process. You've got that toxin there. Um, and probably, and as Carl calls this out in, in his text file here, um, uh, the probably the, the most famous example is that there was an outbreak uh, associated to canned Chinese mushrooms. So these are mushrooms in a can that were given a 12D bot cook, um, but yet still contained uh, uh, staph enterotoxin because somehow those mushrooms were held under conditions where where the organism was able to grow and uh, and to make and to make toxin. So um, and also um, if uh, if if people are interested, kind of in the historical perspective, um, and I think I think I probably first learned about this on a maybe on a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. Um, Tomain poisoning. Okay, that's PT. Yeah. O-M-A-I-N-E, tomain poisoning, um, is actually uh, the old-fashioned name or the oldie-timey name for uh, Staphylococcus aureus uh, food poisoning. So so that's pretty cool. I, I, um, like, I, I like Staph aureus um, from a, a outbreak standpoint. Like, not, not – I don't mean I like it. I don't want people to have it. But um, it, it provides like a whole bunch of – um, interesting teaching points because of that, because you've got some temperature abuse and plus the thought that like, it, it's, it's one of the, it, it's one of the best ones to sort of show that you can't cook a problem out of it after you've had problems. So like you, 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 uh, cause I think often as I've interacted with food handlers, there's this sense of, well, if I, if I mess it up, if I just cook it more afterwards then I'm going to take care of it. And, and this one, you know, is clearly not, um, you know, not that's not the case for for many of the the toxin forming ones, but this one there there are some really um, decent outbreaks that we've used in info sheets in the past. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, I think I think now at uh, uh, forty almost forty five minutes in, we're ready to start the show. <laughs> well, that's what everyone expects, right?
I think by now, if they if they if they don't expect that, they've stopped listening. Yeah, they, they, yeah exactly. And they're, they're they're waiting, or someone has just fast forwarded to forty minutes, hoping that we've started the show. <laughs> uh, so. Um, I've got some, we've got a bunch of food safety stuff and I've got, we've got a couple other things in here as, as new, um, new items. Um, I wanted to, um, start really quickly with the, the first thing that the, uh, that I've got on the list here with, uh, something that one of my, my good friends and colleagues at NC state wrote, um, that really applies to, to stuff that we do. And so this is my, my friend's, uh, name's Matt Shipman. He's a, uh, I think he calls himself a uh, – he works for news services at NC State. He's, a, I think, a public information officer um, and uh, does – you know, when, when, there's, when there's something cool going on, um, he's, he's the guy who tries to get coverage on behalf of the university. And so if I publish a paper, I send it to him, and he gets excited sometimes, and sometimes he's like, eh, that's kind of crappy. Um, and but he always wants to know more about it, and we we talk and, and things like that. And he wrote, he he writes now um, for a, a website called Scilogs. He does a lot of he's a, he's a science communication guy. That's that's kind of where he got his start in um, in, in uh, writing you know public relations stuff, not public relations news news items for um, for universities. He used to be work uh, for a um, a. a a policy publication in DC that covered environmental policy. And so he's, he's got this really cool kind of uh, fusion of telling stories and a, a very keen interest in, in science. And, and also um, he and I've befriended each other because he has three daughters that are about the same age as my, as my two sons. And we, we hang out, but anyway, he wrote this, this article and I think he posted it actually today uh, or yesterday on it about why people don't care about grants <laughs> and writing about grants. And he, he, he kind of, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you, you've been the recipient of grants uh, a lot more than, than I have. I've had a couple. And people at the university get really you know, sort of excited about it. And I think he, he, what he wrote about was it, it makes his job kind of tough because he likes writing about research and he likes writing about um, new developments and grants are like a promise of, of a new development is coming. And it's hard. You know, his, his point here was if someone gave me a bunch of money, would you get interested? Probably not. Um, that's because when one person gets money, it's not interesting, you know, inherently interesting to anyone else. Um, but uh, you know, the, when it comes in the form of research grant, there's a lot of pressure within an organization to write about it. And so he, he talked about, um, in, in his article, why you know this is why he doesn't think it's interesting, and he uh, was on a panel and asked uh, some other sort of high-ranking you know, public information officers from some of the um, the you know, larger uh, medical institutions about when they get excited about grants, and they said, you know, uh, $25 million, $50 million, um, not uh, $80,000 from uh, a local funder or, wh or whatever it is. Uh, but then he, he goes on to, to talk about how um, every once in a while, like what, what you know, kind of says, it's not, it's not very interesting, but sometimes it, it generates other connections and collaborations because it, researchers or extension folks or whoever, people like us, we're sort of looking for um, keywords that pop up in the news. And, and so if I saw that uh, someone at 
Cornell, who I didn't know, got a grant on food safety and social media. Well, I may reach out to that person. I didn't know about it. You know, I, I'm not waiting until the end of the cycle where this information's published. Um, I may be able to, to to tap into their expertise and do some collaboration with some other uh, um, funds that that I might have. So I, I thought it was it was a really kind of cool article, and I've never really thought about it. And in, in fact, have you know, spent relatively little time thinking about. Um, you know, what the what the pressures are on on someone like uh, someone in his position, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was kind of cool. Yeah, and that's 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 actually quite uh, it's quite interesting. You know, I never really thought about it before, but um, I mean, it it's impressive to talk. You know, to look back on your career and say, oh, I've I've got you know so many million dollars worth of grants in my career, but. Um, but yeah, to me, the payoff is what comes out of the grant, right? What are the publications? What are the, what are the activities that the grant enabled you to do that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's very interesting. He seems like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that seems like he would be a really interesting guy to, to just to hang out with because, I mean, he's got kind of this job that's sort of the same as the jobs that we do, but and, I mean, in that he works at a university and he deals with science and he writes, but 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 also very very different than the jobs that we do. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this 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 is a neat article. Yeah, it was it was cool. He's he's a great guy. He's he's the guy who um, we I've mentioned a couple of times about the science online science online um, conference that happens in Raleigh uh, every year, and he's he's instrumental in organizing that. Um, with uh, with a couple other folks who are um, bloggers for Scientific American and um, uh, 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 PLOS uh, One, um, so yeah, he's he's really in tune with with where science communication is, and, and it, I I learn as much from him on some of the um, you know extension message stuff that, that I do you know uh, just talking, and he's he's like a foodie too. The guy cooks like crazy, so he's. Um, I don't know if we linked to this, but um, uh, back in at Thanksgiving, but he and I did a set of videos on uh, on preparing turkey, just you know, hanging out in the kitchen. Uh, we threw up on YouTube last year, and so he's a um, he's he's a fun dude and knows his food, so that's cool. Cool, cool. So, so what do you think about this cucumber outbreak? Uh-huh. Have you been following this at all? A little bit. Uh, let me tell you what I think about it. It got real okay. quiet. <laughs> like, like you know how how sometimes outbreaks, um, people are really interested in talk about it. Uh, this one has not been um, well covered. It's not, and I don't know if it if this has to do with the um, the news cycle and and it came out at a time um, when um, you know all the craziness was going on in Boston and mm-hmm. um, you know they're, they're, that was kind of just dominating the the news cycle and, and you know right, rightfully so from a, um, a whole bunch of standpoint or a whole bunch of different angles but um, I mean so the the outbreak that you're talking about um, it has been linked to um, uh, it's salmonella St. Paul and it's linked to uh, cucumbers that came from greenhouses or well w- one greenhouse or one set of greenhouses in in Mexico and and I just I guess it's been surprising on how quiet it's been yeah yeah and you know and it and it, it's uh, salmonella St. Paul now have you heard any word is that the same salmonella St. Paul that caused the outbreak that was first linked or, or first thought to be associated with tomatoes and then later on was thought was 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 found to be associated with peppers i have not heard that and and i'm sure okay. that there's someone at pulse net that would know that answer 
um, you know, by now that they that that um, they've been able to sort of match those up in the in the database. But but our, our good friend Michelle Daniluk actually mentioned that in a in an email or a text or something that um, this to her she believes it's it's the same geographical area. Right. Um, so it wouldn't be surprising if it was the the same. Um, you know, outbreak strain. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't heard anything on that. Yeah. And, you know, it made me think about, about cucumbers in general and why we maybe haven't had more outbreaks linked to cucumbers. And, and again, I know that, uh, total plate count is not necessarily a reliable indicator for the prevalence or the presence of pathogens, but we test uh, over the years we have tested a lot of cucumbers in the dining halls at Rutgers University and i can tell you that one of the foods that has amongst the highest total play counts i mean you know lettuce and all the fresh produce is up there but but cucumbers is definitely up there too i mean so so you'll find high total play counts on cucumbers and and on peppers actually uh, red red and green uh, bell peppers sweet peppers as much as you'll find it on uh lettuce or or tomatoes and again we know lettuce and tomatoes have really been linked to a lot of outbreaks um peppers not so much and cucumbers near as i can tell not at all so to me, the question is was more like, well, not why are we having an outbreak with cucumbers, but more why have we not had other outbreaks with cucumbers? Uh, you know, absolutely, and I've had a little bit experience and a little bit of experience with the um, uh, cucumber industry from the greenhouse perspective. And and so, do you know, you know, from from your surveillance with your project, whether those are greenhouse cucumbers or not? No, they? no, they're 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 from. I mean, we get them all times of the year. So uh, I know that uh, with the Rutgers uh, dining halls, we try to buy local whenever we can. Now, I don't know if we raise any cucumbers in New Jersey or not. So, but I suspect that all they come. I mean, we we every every week there's cucumbers in the dining hall. So I suspect that we get them from all kinds of places, including field and greenhouse. Greenhouse. And are they are they the English cucumbers? The do you know you know what I'm talking about? Well, they do have a funny accent. Well, do they do they like fish and chips? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> Are they Downton Abbey fans? Um, <laughs> so, um, so the in greenhouse production. So I, I, you know, I did my master's work in working mm-hmm. with uh, greenhouse vegetable growers in Ontario, and um, they they produce. Uh, actually, most of the English cucumbers we get here in North Carolina are from all throughout the year are from Ontario. Um, they, uh, uh, they're, they're able to produce in, in Leamington, uh, sort of the biggest area of production, um, almost 11 months out of the year. They can't, they, they don't have quite enough light for cucumbers in January. So they end up losing about, about six, six weeks when they're not, um, producing and they, they end up, tomatoes are a little different market for them. They, um, they, they tend to slow those down in the summer because the market is flooded with other similar type products, but English cucumbers, they grow pretty consistently throughout the year, um, on it. And, and we, you know, I, I did some surveillance. We published a couple of papers in JFP back in, I don't know, like Oh two and Oh three, um, with some, some micro surveillance data and, and found similar stuff. I mean, um, at that point we were looking for, um, looking at total coliform and 
you know, uh, as a poor indicator of, of anything, but um, that's kind of what, what we're, uh, you know, we looked for um, generic E. coli, total coliform, and, and salmonella on tomatoes and cucumbers, and, and did find, um, if I remember um, correctly, uh, you know, we would find total coliform counts very commonly on, um, on cucumbers. And a, a few different incidents popped up while I was there where we kind of would find, um, we, we pulled some generic E. coli off of stuff and, um, you know, no, no pathogens, never, never actually ever found a, a salmonella positive, but, um, a couple of spots had reported using um, uh, fungicides. Fun- fungus is really problematic in the greenhouse um, area, uh, greenhouse production, uh, because you've got, uh, especially when it gets really hot and, and there's sort of high humidity, you end up with with pretty good fungal growth, and it doesn't. It kind of moves quickly because the um, because people are sort of walking through and pruning and pinching flowers and uh, and harvesting throughout the the um, the entire system and it, it's just a different kind of growth situation. So what um, what we found in a couple of different situations were um, uh, the water that was being used to mix the fungicide was um, was either you know surface water or water that wasn't of of great quality and and that's you the the producers could sort of point back to that point where they had sprayed with uh, with water that was poor quality as, as putting some of those uh, total coliform counts out uh, and we, we had sort of history you know, we would we would visit um, each of the the greenhouses um, uh, sometimes quarterly so so you could see um, even with sort of the small amount of samples we were taking like differences over time so I wonder you know being that this is a greenhouse um, situation I don't I wonder what you know whether if water is a factor here, uh, which would be my guess, um, whether fungicide uh, water or some sort of pesticide uh, mixed water would have been um, would potentially be the source. But I don't know. We're guessing. Yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned um, you mentioned surface water, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, do, uh, <laughs> have you have you heard? There's a there's a new paper out on surface water. <laughs> I've I'm not sure. Have I? <laughs> Let me scan the notes. Well, no, it's not in oh. the notes. Um, it was briefly discussed um, on our writing buddies call. Oh, right, um, right. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently, there are bacteria in the surface water in Florida. Uh huh. And and my guess would be that there's probably bacteria in the surface water in a lot of places. Yes. Yes. Uh, there, that's true. Uh, and we'll we'll link to the AEM article um, by McEgan et al. We know her, don't we? We know her. We do. We do. We know a few of the other authors as well. In fact, we know. We know. I know all of the other authors. <laughs> I don't know if you ever met Gabriel, uh, my graduate student. I don't think but, I did. So, uh, he's, yeah. he's a nice. He's a nice man. He's going to Kenya. He's going back to Kenya. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, but then he's got to come back because he doesn't have his PhD yet. Um, but he's got some. He's got some. Speaking of other things, we can't talk about. He's got some business to take care of in Kenya. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll leave it. At, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, it, yeah, surface water um, wouldn't. It, it, I mean, truthfully, wouldn't surprise me at all here, and and, and especially if, if they end up pulling. If this is the same outbreak strain or a similar um, PFG pattern, um, you know, the, from from what we saw in 2008, the, 
Yeah. It just wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. There there was some I think we linked to this in a couple of couple episodes back, but there was a, a paper um uh from um uh, some work that was done in Mexico in Mexican greenhouses looking at pathogens, pathogens and indicators and movement and sort of pulling them off boots and some standing water and uh, ladders and, and different things, hmm. uh, some stuff in the parking lot. So, uh, so it, I mean, there, I, I guess my actually the first thing I tweeted when this came out, um, you know, I was sitting on you know, on my couch. Danny was out or something. I was watching hockey. Probably saw that this outbreak hit, and all I tweeted was, "Greenhouses aren't you know um, sterile. They're they're real working living systems. When pathogens could be there, um, and that got re- like retweeted by um, Marin McKenna from Wired and a couple other Whoa. people. Yeah, I was like, wow. I guess I guess that that message matters." Hmm. Um, that's so, that, that's cool though. That yeah. I mean, because yeah, I mean, people people might have that have that perspective that a greenhouse is somehow kind of enclosed and 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 safe. But you know, your point about um, it's high humidity, and people are walking through there physically, you know, manipulating those those products. I mean, that never really occurred to me. I mean, this you know this this is this is a bit of a a bit of a, a, a derail, but this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because we've been doing some work on well, we've been doing work on transfer of organisms from one surface to another. We've been, we've been doing work on survival of organisms on surfaces, and I really believe that. The relative, and this is nothing. This is not exactly new. I mean, other people have have proposed the same thing and have, have looked at it, but I don't think enough people have looked at it that that the relative humidity of the environment we know from published literature influences the survival. And the higher the relative humidity, the better the survival. But I also think that the higher the relative humidity, um, the more the potential to transfer. So if you have a very dry surface, the bacteria are going to die more rapidly. If you also, if you have a very dry surface, I think you're going to get less transfer from one one surface to another. So in a greenhouse, which has a high relative humidity, you're going to have fungal problems, as you said, but that, that may also indicate micro biological, you know, bacterial problems and also may facilitate movement of that microorganism. And, and so, I mean, what you're, um, what you're suggesting is that that high humidity provides um, some moisture droplets that become a matrix that, that you can transfer with. Is that kind of what, what you're getting at? Well, I don't really know what I'm getting at. All I, all I know is that I know my, my intuition and, and some data that we have shows me, actually, we just, we just had a, I had a, a paper with, uh, with Michelle and, uh, Lori Frederick, her, her technician and, and my graduate student, Dane, Dane Jensen, uh, actually just had, we just had a paper accepted in, uh, JFP, which which shows that drying time makes a difference. So we inoculated surfaces and we inoculated produce, and then we either did an, immediately did a transfer or we waited one hour and we did a transfer. And depending on the type of food, so more moist foods like watermelon, I think was one of the ones that we studied, um, it, it still had a, a very good transfer even an hour later, but other foods like celery that were more dry didn't have that transfer. And, and I, I don't think we really know enough about about the influence of relative humidity. And I know some people have done some work on uh, microbial growth in the phylosphere, which is the surface of the fresh produce. And I know that, that moisture really does seem to play uh, a key role there. But, I, but again, I, did, I just, and this is more me talking to me so that, uh, you know, I, I know this is something important that we need to be sure to, to look at at some point 
you know, down the road that, 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 that really is important, um, both in survival of the organism and transfer. And I'm really not sure mechanistically what's going on there. Um, but this is something that, that I, I, you know, I want to go on record here on, uh, on May 9th, uh, 2013, <laughs> that I think it's important. Cool. Well, I, it would, I mean, it seems you know, like it, like it, it might be, I mean, based for, for a lot of, um, different reasons on, you know, we've talked about, uh, moisture facilitation and, and look at things like, um, the proximity to rain events for outbreaks. And, you know, maybe that that's not, um, not just from the actual flooding or, or whatever, but the fact that that high humidity, um, environment or, or, you know, weather pattern, um, may, may influence the, um, transfer. And, and this, uh, this, this is kind of a derail that, that brings us back a little bit because, um, you know, I, I talked uh, the last uh, episode about um, doing some work with cantaloupes and um, sort of the the FDA situation on cantaloupes, and I have since then have been out to a um, to a couple of different spots, and and one of the the cantaloupe packers asked me a question about just you know logistics for them, um, and that they you know the, the, their situation is that they typically pick cantaloupes in the morning and and pack them in the afternoon. And when you pick them in the morning, it's heavy dew, especially in North Carolina. And in June and July, we you know we have high you know, a lot of humidity overnight. And 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 he, you know his question was, should we do that? You know, should we should we pick in the afternoon when they might be a little bit drier or mm-hmm. a little bit later? And and maybe we'll cool them overnight and pack them first thing in the morning. And I was like, man, I don't know. I you know I don't know what what that means. But based on when you started talking about, it, I was like, that's. The, uh, you know that that's the same same kind of question yeah that would be a real interesting thing to do i mean to to, to do like some some paired controls from the same field you know where you did one and then you did the other i mean if it you know you could say well you know how much does it influence uh, total counts for example mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i don't know that 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 seems like a really interesting project it's it's funny like how some of this stuff can you know, could really it could be as simple as that for for a risk reduction. Yep. You, you yep. know, not not risk elimination, but it could just be like, yep. no, let's just switch up the order on how you do this. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm That's going tough. on record now too. <laughs> May May ninth, five minutes after Don said. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually have access to somebody that might be able to test the hypothesis. That's good. Well, yeah, we could we could see what we can do. Cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, just you know, coming back to cucumbers, I, I mean, are you surprised that no one's really talking about this? Well, you know, I think uh, I think the timing, you know, what, it's, it's talking about news and, and timing, and I'm completely unqualified to talk about this, but yeah, I mean, what happened in Boston was certainly newsworthy, and it was certainly a tragedy, and and a bunch of people died. What I don't understand why why more people weren't talking about the explosion at the fertilizer plant yeah. in Texas and and so for sure if they weren't talking about that they weren't talking about some people getting sick from cucumbers right yeah. so uh, you know it's it just seems like the 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 way the the news works these days is you know it's just all about well what's the top level item and and this this cucumber thing and maybe maybe because it's it's not a small outbreak right it's like 80 something yeah. cases um maybe it's just people just don't really care about it yeah could be but why why is it that we care about 
you know, other outbreaks that are this size. I mean, that's a whole study in itself is what, what makes a, what makes a story. I actually tried to do some of that when it, in um, media analysis wise in, in my master's thesis. And it was really crappy. Um, what I, what I kind of put together and actually presented at IFP one year, maybe the second year that I ever went on what I saw in media and what I thought made a story. And I never ended up publishing it cause it actually wasn't, I don't think it was very good, but I think that's still a really valid question. Like, like from a, from a man, from a risk management standpoint, um, if I could know what the factors are that go into making a story, a food safety story, making it big, um, I may be able to, to be better prepared on how to manage that, that story. Um, and, and, and at the same time, if I'm in a, an industry or in a situation where I'm, there's all these external factors that are more likely to make this a big story then maybe I'm going to invest more time into making sure that I don't have an outbreak. I, don't, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question that, um, that there will be some smart people that, that come along and, and do that work, but it's, uh, um, I, no, no one's really done a good job at that either. But this one, I mean, truthfully, this one surprised me because it's fresh produce and there had just been, um, a whole bunch of coverage, not, um, not a month before on, um, the new, uh, CDC numbers on 46% of, uh, outbreaks being linked to fresh produce. And here's the first really big one that we've had, uh, since then. Um, and it's an imported product and it's on something that is not been linked to, you know, it's kind of surprising. We hadn't had, uh, uh, salmonella linked to, to cucumbers before. And, and seriously, like nothing like zero. I, uh, no, no one called, no one wanted to talk about this. So there was no coverage beyond, um, a, a couple of AP stories and, a uh, and the CDC's, uh, own material. So, so I don't know. I, I, I can't guess at it. Yeah, well, and I mean, there must be people out there. I mean, I think some of the some of the stuff that Peter Sandman has written about, you know, with uh, you know, risk plus outrage. I mean, there are, and there are, you know, I'm sure there are journalists that you know that could tell you, you know, to quote, does the story have legs? Right? What is? Are there things in, in you know, generically in in a news story that that keep it in the news? But um, and you could probably try to apply some of that to uh, to food. But I think a lot. Of the, I think there is a heavily uh, there is a, a timing issue that 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 basically comes in and like stomps all over any correlations that you might see, right? So it's right. so it's not only what are the attributes of the story, but what are the other stories in the media at the time, and and are there some of those that are just going to drown out all of the other content? I mean, people people that have uh, bad news to release you know, know that, well, you release it on Friday afternoon, right? Because then that's the end of the news cycle. And then you have a whole weekend for everybody to go off and do their, do their own thing. And, and, and the news is, is pretty quiet. So, I mean, I, you know, I think that there's probably, you'd have to have a way to sort of factor that out, right? you know, uh, when you did your analysis. It's like, uh, it's like in the newsroom. <laughs> is there blood? <laughs> did they die? That leads. There's a, there's a snake. Did they it's- catch the snake? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get back. I enjoy, I enjoyed that show so much. I got, I gotta get back and, and get into the next season. I owe our good friend Michael Batts um, some of those episodes. So he has, he has asked, and I have not yet thrown them in the Dropbox, and I'm going to do so. So just so he can see them in a non-legal um, sort of way. 
a non-legal sort of way? Non, non-illegal sort of way, in a very legal way. I'll share them with him. <laughs> right, right, because because for him to get them from the Internet would be illegal, but for you to put them in Dropbox is totally legal. Somehow, yep. Okay. Uh, well, it's right. just I'm just going to write. In fact, what I've done, and he doesn't know this, is I, I'm not going to give him the originals. I've refilmed the material <laughs> with my family. Um, so it's it's an added bonus of us of our acting as well as the the storyline. So I, yeah, I think that I think that's fair use. I think so. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's satire. Satire, exactly. <laughs> um, um, speaking speaking of satire. Um, <laughs> Nice want, segue. Yeah, not bad. Eh? You want to talk about the germiest kitchen items? Oh <laughs> no. God, I so I so I so want to talk about what, this. Um, what's happened to NSF here? Like, this is another. Uh-huh. I'm, I don't know. I'm just getting grumpy or something. But this one surprised me of where it came from. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, and I, I was, I was, I was really pissed off about this. And let me, let me get the story loaded. So, um, so we'll we'll link to this in the show notes for sure. Um, so the 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 headline on the on the NSF website and for those that might be a little bit confused NSF does not stand for National Science Foundation which is a funding agency in the United States that funds science um NSF stands for NSF which used to stand for National Sanitation Foundation um <clears throat> excuse me apologies um uh, more throat clearing on the podcast. That's what we need. Um, so the <laughs> thank you. You're the, uh, the headline. The headline reads: "Preventing germs on kitchen items." Um, and then it goes on to say, uh, of course, because you lead with your credentials. NSF International has a long history of working to help ensure safe design and cleaning of equipment or appliances used in food preparation. And then blah blah blah. Um, they're NSF's home product certification program began in 2012 addressing kitchen appliances and tools designed for home use. So, um, uh, there is a, there is a wonderful woman that works at Ecolab whose name I forget who uh, she, she's, she's great. So I, I met her because, uh, she, she worked with Katie Swanson while, while Katie was there. But, um, and we've, we've talked about various sanitation stuff before and she's just absolutely a pistol and she get her started on talking about NSF standards and how they're just complete BS. I mean, so NSF, I mean, you know, and again, if anybody from NSF is listening, I apologize. Um, sponsor the podcast. Yeah. And then, uh, and then and buy us off and we won't, we won't talk crap we'll, about you. We'll but, bring you on. We'll have you as a guest and we can talk about this. Exactly. But, um, but, but I mean, it's anyway, their standards, uh, their standards are, and again, I'm not qualified to talk about it, but uh, but Anna, I believe her name is, um, is is qualified, and she says basically the standards are designed. I think this is almost an exact quote, and and if it's not, then uh, I don't know who Anna is, and I've never heard of EcoLab, but um, <laughs> but something like the standards are designed to be passed, right? Mm. So it's a relatively it's a relatively low bar, I guess is probably the the charitable way to say it. So, um, so so in 2013, the NSF international germ study mm-hmm. okay this international germ study focused on an analysis of 14 everyday kitchen items it focused on the analysis of 14 everyday kitchen items for the presence of four different types of microorganisms i'm not even is that even a correct sentence no it's not anyway it's not um so the four different types of organisms are salmonella or sorry e coli salmonella listeria and mold and yeast. <laughs> yep. So those I'm are the four. Sure 
I'm pretty sure that's five, yep. but but we will give them the benefit of the doubt, and we'll say that they did a, a count on a yeast and mold auger, and that gives them four, right? Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> the study found that many of these common kitchen appliances and tools regularly used to prepare food do indeed harbor pathogens that can cause foodborne illness. Don, Don, which which of those four types of microorganisms are pathogens? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> a couple of them, maybe. Well, yes, one for sure. Well, one, one for sure. Right, one for sure. <laughs> Salmonella is pretty much all pathogenic. Yeah, well, I, I don't. Maybe not. But anyway, but but generally pathogenic. Listeria might or might not be, but it's only a high dose pathogen, or mm-hmm. you need high doses to cause illness. And E. coli is an indicator, and it could be pathogenic. But I mean. Oh, this is, it's, it just makes me so angry. So I I felt my, so I felt like writing a bar blog post about this entitled something like doing actual research is really hard, right? Like, so what, what do I have to do to do research? Well, number one, I have to find the money. Number two, because I'm a busy person, I have to find some other poor schlub to actually do the work. Number three, I have to write that up or, or get the, the poor schlub, i.e. graduate student, to write that up and then turn it into something presentable. Then I have to submit it to a journal where it gets reviewed by my peers who may decide that it's not acceptable. And then I have to respond to those peer reviews and make those changes and, and pay the page charges and then get the damn thing published, right? That's a long, involved process. It takes a long time, and it ensures a fairly high-quality product. Near as I can tell... <laughs> wait, wait. So no. this, okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, or you could do it the satire way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, near as I can tell, this web page is the study. Yep, that's what I see. Um... So where's the data? Oh, oh no, there's there's data here, Don. Germs that were found included salmonella and listeria. <laughs> okay. Oh, I guess that's not data. Uh, well, that's a kind of data. Kind of, I guess. It was found, they were found. How many germs? Hmm, that's not here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what <laughs> methods did you use? How many kitchens did you survey? Yep. I, I mean, it's just, it just boggles the mind. I, I, I just, I'm, and, and, and mostly, mostly it's not about what they found. Mostly it's about these helpful messages. Yes. Like avoid cross-contamination by separating raw unwashed produce. Uh, oh. um, unplug the blender and <laughs> remove the blender jar from the base. Completely disassemble the jar, removing the blade and gasket at the bottom. <laughs> Yep. Oh, wait, and I, I bet you can also wash it in hot soapy water. Uh, yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> this reminds me one of the one of the things that that absolutely set Merlin off at one point was a, a post on Lifehacker that <laughs> you can use soap to clean your dishes. <laughs> um, so we'll 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 link uh, we'll link to that as well. Um, but but I mean, it's just it's just oh god, it's just it just makes me so angry. I mean. Uh, did, did anybody does anybody work at NSF anymore that knows anything about science? No, uh, I mean, I don't know. Well, if they do, <sighs> they weren't involved with this. Yeah, I, uh, my favorite though really is mm-hmm. number four can opener. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, again, uh, sort of introducing it. Get, it makes me guess. It's almost like like there's a. It's like a little puzzle. 
like <laughs> we're given little tidbits here. And this one says, well, many volunteers recognize that can openers could harbor germs. So let's stop there for a second. So now there's a whole part of this study that we didn't know about. And the, we've been referred to volunteers earlier. But it's like there was a survey <laughs> as well of people who were volunteering for the study. And we asked them, can can openers harbor germs? Yes, many of them could say that they could. The NSF. <laughs> <laughs> The NSF germ study found that these items were not being cleaned effectively. So, so I guess that they found, I don't know. And, and who knows? I mean, there's just so much missing here. It's, it, the puzzle's not, it's not complete enough. Wait, wait, wait. And, and, and so, so the germ study focused on an analysis of 14 everyday type kitchen items. If you look at that list, <laughs> it has nine <laughs> items. Right? <laughs> Am I missing something? <laughs> um, and, and, and Ben, that's ben, awesome. Did you know, did you know that dark, moist environments can be a breeding ground for germs? Wow. And knife blocks prove no exception because yeast both, and mold. Both yeast <laughs> and mold. Okay, yeast and mold. Oh both of them were found in the knife blocks present in this year's test homes. I'm I'm going to burn my knife block. No, no, you don't have to do that. First, oh, that's right. first remove any knives stored in the block. <laughs> turn the knife block upside down and shake lightly because that's how we get out the yeast and mold. <laughs> shake lightly or use a can of compressed air to aerosolize those yeast and molds right into your lungs. No, I'm sorry. Um, uh, to remove crumbs and other loose debris. Hand wash the knife block in hot, soapy water. Use a small brush, like a baby bottle nipple brush, to scrub out the knife slots. Oh. And then, after you've thoroughly contaminated it with yeast and mold, use it to clean out your baby bottles. I don't think there's I, a baby bottle nipple brush. I think that doesn't even exist. I think it's a, I think it's a bottle brush. <laughs> oh, and then it says, uh, to sanitize, prepare a mixture of one gallon lukewarm tap water with bleach. Okay, that's that's probably a good idea. But, I mean... Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I just, I just, it, all right, yeah. So uh, to avoid mold, mold, to avoid mold and bacterial buildup, okay. Apparently, the yeast buildup is okay, but to avoid mold and bacterial buildup, wash knives thoroughly after each use and let them dry completely before placing them in the knife block. Wash and sanitize the knife block monthly if used frequently. Well, we pretty much use our knife block all the time. Frequently. I would yeah, say it's frequently. every time. Yeah. Um, we use a lot of knives, and we keep them in a knife block. And I pretty much have never, ever washed that knife block. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm probably okay with, I'm probably okay with um, not ever washing that. Because you're, cause you're okay with spreading the uh, yeast and mold. That's yeah. What, you're not on my, on my On my clean knives, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is just awesome. I just... <laughs> By the way, Ben, these findings are most concerning for households with at-risk populations, such as children, pregnant women, and the elderly, or those with a compromised, compromised immune system. Now, you did happen to mention to me recently that one of your sons is sick. Personally, I think it's the knife block. Oh, damn it. It's true. I didn't even think about it. I've been using the knives in that knife block to cut things. <laughs> And and those things are food that I'm feeding him. Oh, it's it's incredible. This, um, w w <laughs> come on. So w I, we need to end on this because it's the greatest. The lesson 
quote, quote, with my with my dick fingers. The lesson we can all learn as consumers is to follow manufacturers' directions when it comes to cleaning and sanitizing kitchen tools and appliances. And what standards? Okay, so, let, me, let, me, let me go check my knife block. Yeah, and see what instructions it has. And and Don, if if it doesn't have one, it's clearly not an NSF stamped uh, appliance. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you Ben? Hmm. Are you saying that NSF might have an agenda here? I don't know. I I just I think they're just trying to keep us safe. I think okay. they're trying to keep the molten yeast uh, <laughs> out of my refrigerator vegetable compartment by asking me to clean it monthly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we clean it on a regular basis because it usually has crap stuck to it yeah and it starts to smell you know that's that's when we know it's time to clean the fridge when it starts to smell you know what they suggest that you might want to use a uh, warm water mixed with baking soda solution uh, to control that so that's that's kind of a nice tidbit here um i I find soap is also works really well for cleaning stuff oh that would work yeah (laughs) Yeah, so we but we we will use this as as an excuse to to link to uh, Merlin's uh, excellent post on forty three folders. So if you if you Google um, life hacker uh, soap and dishes and, and Merlin man, it, it links to this. Uh, it's uh, entitled "Make Believe Help." <laughs> this is perfect, right? Make Bel- the, the post is entitled "Make Believe Help: Old Butchers and Figuring Out Who You Are for Now." Um, so, and and again, he um, uh, he does, and it's a one, it's a wonderful uh, video link that he has there, which is well well worth uh, well worth watching. Um, he talks a lot about uh, fake help, uh, including the the uh, life hacker post on on soap cleaning your dishes. But um, it, it's 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 really one of one of the best uh, best things that he's uh, that he's done. Uh, he, he did it quite a while ago, but it, it definitely bears a rewatching it's from it's from 2009 but it's it, it's it's for sure it's well worth watching so um if nothing else this rant does, has reminded me that there's an awesome post on 43 folders out there um which uh, which will cheer me up if i watch it <laughs> awesome i i have one more thing that that i want to talk about before we get away from this um they talk a lot about fridges in here i don't know if nsf certifies fridges not certifies. But I don't know if that's the right word. Gives, stamps their approval on them. Um, uh, look as, for the mark, and you'll find a I'm, safer product. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. But they, my guess is that there are if there if it's a household fridge. The, so here's my here's my last thing. They talk in here about where you should store your meat and where your um, fresh produce should go. Let me let me pull this out here uh, specifically. In the refrigerator, produce should be always stored on a separate shelf above all meat, poultry, and seafood to avoid raw juices dripping on the produce. I mean, it seems very intuitive. Um, My guess, and I'm just guessing here, is that there are NSF refrigerators, stamped refrigerators, probably like the one that I have in my house right now, that has produce storage shelves below the like the, the the low humidity and high humidity is is at the bottom of the fridge. I'm sure there is an extra barrier, and it's unlikely that there's going to be stuff that drops on it. But even their own suggestion probably doesn't work with their own the with the products that they put their seal of approval on. <laughs> From a, a a realistic standpoint, arg. Mm. Oh well, I'm glad you put this in here. Yeah, it just it just got me really it just got me really upset because I mean I was honestly I was honestly excited 
Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be actual research that was going to actually tell me something that would actually help people. <laughs> no, no, there isn't. Silly, silly me, silly me. There might be. It's just not here. <laughs> it's 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 not here in this uh, international um, study. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Why isn't that there? Oh, I don't know. Uh, let's move on. Okay. Let's go to something else. I I've got one more one more thing that I wanted to talk to be- to talk about before we kind of send off because we're getting uh, we're getting kind of late. This is the latest podcast we've ever done. Is it? I think so. Mm. So, so that's great. This is good. It's a, mid- a midnight madness <laughs> podcast. I'm certainly mad now. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so angry. <laughs> we, I can't believe we went through that whole segment and didn't say that. <laughs> um. So. Uh, Another another great um, sort of study that that has uh, I guess similar I had some some similar concerns about was uh, something that came out of Consumer Reports uh, the good folks at Consumer Reports um, uh, last week week and a half ago mm-hmm. um, did you see this uh, uh, Consumer Reports looking at ground turkey and prevalence of bacteria in ground turkey yeah and in fact I I think I want to say I I I thought I put this in uh, in the show notes as well because those it was actually those two things together that were like really like pissing me off. So, but I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you linked to it as well. Yeah. So so here's the the situation. Also, it's it, it was Germ Week I think on Discovery Channel because uh, this was uh, the Consumer Reports talked about germ count in their in their coverage and and here's I mean uh, as a you know, I've talked about this before. I, I actually kind of like this kind of stuff. I like that this forces people to – it forces the industry to stay on their toes and then the regulators to stay on their toes. Because someone like Consumer Reports who may not get it right is going to generate a bunch of media and they're going to generate a bunch of focus on something that really says to – to the folks that might have to respond, you you better have everything in order. And so o- overall, I'm actually kind of a fan of this stuff. Although the science isn't great, but it, it, that that the it's the um, the secondary output uh, for me. Um, so anyway, what um, what Consumer Reports did is uh, they went out and uh, grabbed a bunch of uh, ground turkey uh, from retail stores, and um, the their focus was looking at um, different types of uh, uh, bacteria specifically, and um, they looked for um, Enterococcus, E. coli, uh, Staph aureus, Salmonella, and Campylobacter um, in, uh, what was the N here, uh, 257, uh, yeah, 257 samples. And so um, what was kind of, I guess, cool about the whole situation um, is that from a um, real pathogen concern side of things, where I would place Salmonella and Campy as the as the big ones, only um, 12 out of those 257 came back with any um, form of positive Salmonella, and zero out of the 257 had Campy on it. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Now there was for sure some generic E. coli, and there was for, for sure some Enterococcus, and lots of stuff. You know, uh, you know uh, 155 samples uh, generic E. coli, 178 samples uh, Enterococcus, and 39 samples with uh, Staph aureus. Um, and then they, they also sort of um, looked at um, antibiotic resistance and any of the stuff that they pulled, and that became more of a, a, a story. But 
I mean, come on, 257 ground turkey samples, zero Campylobacter. Did that kind of blow your mind? Does it blow your mind? Blows my mind. Well, and my first thought is, huh, I wonder if their methods were okay. Yeah, well, we don't have that information, do we? <laughs> well, yeah, no, and, 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 and yes, thank you for that. Um, so I did, I did actually look at, I think this, I looked at this one, one first, and the, the reason why, I mean, I kind of saw it. I think it might have been, uh, been linked to on, on, on Barf Blogger and Bytes. Um, but then I got an email um, from Marge Perry, and, and Marge is a, a food reporter, and we'll, we'll link to her blog. She has a, a really nice blog called A Sweet and Savory Life. And it's it's mostly it's 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 sort of a, it's a foodie blog, and so like you know the 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 front page right now is on quinoa with kale and sun dried tomato, whether or not you're gluten free. So I mean, it's, it, she doesn't always write about food safety, but we've kind of become you know internet friends, and she often emails me for uh, food safety advice, and shows she emailed me about this Consumer Reports study, and 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 her thing is so. Um, uh, this article in Consumer Reports, she writes, uh, and their testing has caused quite a stir. But please tell me, um, would proper cooking to 160 or 160 degrees solve all these problems? And and my response is yes, yep, it, yep, would. it would. Um, but but uh, then but then I, you know that got me to read it, and I had a couple more points for her, which I'll, which I'll share with you now. So um, uh, one key point: the study has not been published in a peer-reviewed journal, which is the same thing that got me wound up about this NSF article, right? It's like, well. You know, if I want to publish something, I guess I guess I could, I've got a blog, I've got a podcast. I guess I can say whatever I want or publish whatever I want. But you know, there is a certain standard for doing this kind of thing. And so, the study hasn't been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Um, doesn't mean it's useless. I wrote to her, uh, but it does mean that mean that experts haven't reviewed the work. Um, what's presented on the website is far short of the mm-hmm. level of detail needed for a peer-reviewed publication. So I can't tell you. The quality of the work because the the information that I need to determine that quality is missing. Um, they also make a statement about Staph aureus being a leading cause of foodborne illness in the U.S., but not from meat, right? Right. Um, uh, you know, so it, and it's not ever going to be a problem in meat because of some of. The, actually, we talked about Staph aureus uh, earlier on the podcast. It, it's a it's a poor competitor. It works. It grows well in foods that have been. Uh, heated or, or or had the the vegetative the background population knocked down and then cross contaminated by um, boogers or or or, or, uh, or the the hands of a food service worker um, and then there's this thing about MRSA so multiple resistant Staph aureus um, for sure that's a concern a public health concern in the United States but as far as I know there are no MRSA foodborne infections so it does I mean. And, and yes, antibiotic resistance is a problem. Um, but near as I can tell from the little that I've been aware of it and, and, and dabbled in it and, and talked to people that are experts in it is it's, it's, it's hard to draw conclusions. And there, there are people that believe that antibiotic resistance in the food supply is important. There are other people that believe that it's probably less important. And as far as I'm concerned, it's still an open scientific issue. So, um, and then, and then my punchline back to Marge is, well, we eat properly cooked ground turkey in my house and we'll in all likelihood continue to do so. So this, this article, uh, or yeah, let's call it an article is, is not, is not going to change my mind in any way about it. Um, and like you said, maybe it's going to spur some action on the part of the industry, but um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know they do work very hard trying to, to figure out root cause analysis, and, and certainly there was that big uh, um, Cargill outbreak a number of years ago, linked, I believe, back to, to ground turkey. But 
uh, and they did they did some real good detective work trying to figure that out but i don't know i'm i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure this consumer reports article doesn't just generate more smoke than 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 heat i i agree um and let me, let me tell you who i think looks good and who i think looks bad though <laughs> i sure I, I included these these links in in the notes um ami um really responded to this very well um, they, as soon as this was released, they put out a press release that basically said, Hey, um, you know, we, we appreciate the consumer. I don't know if you looked at it. But I just look at the headline right now. Got to read the headline. Consumer reports, ground Turkey testing shows remarkable food safety profile for nutritious products. Yeah. And it, good on you, yeah, and I thought it was awesome. So, so they they basically came out and said they you know took the information, looked at it, and and did the, the and you know I kind of credit Betsy Boren. I don't know if you know Betsy, but uh, yep, I know, do. Um, I, I you know I kind of credit her for for doing this. Uh, you know, likely, um, she kind of looks at at the <laughs> at the uh, the results and says, "Man, two hundred fifty seven samples. You only pulled twelve salmonella with whatever methods you're using and no Campylobacter." <laughs> the quote was. These findings are extremely encouraging. <laughs> when food safety issues have been linked to ground turkey, they've been typically caused by campy or salmonella. Um, and they, sh- you know, these results show that the systems uh, seem to be working. And yeah. the- only only five percent were positive for salmonella. Yeah. One tenth the regulatory limits. <laughs> right. So I do have a problem with that. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, right. Because one tenth the regulatory limit of forty nine percent is is um, per. You know, shipment per law. Well, it's, per, it's it's actually for for the for the it's for the testing window. Right for the so, testing yeah. window. Yeah, yeah. Not one tenth the regulatory w- limit of two hundred and fifty-seven samples taken from a whole bunch of different spots. It's not you know it's not the same kind of thing. Now if they all right? No, no, but but it's but it's 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 analogous enough. I guess right? so. I mean, you're right. It's it's a single it's a single plant that I I believe the Salmonella performance standard for ground turkey is that. Over a certain window, a certain plant has to produce, you know, can't have more than 49% of their birds be, be positive. But, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, they're, they're, they're playing a little fast and loose. Yeah. But I, I, to make the, to, I, I mean, I just had to laugh. When it's I read awesome. That. Yeah. It's really good. And that's, it's, you know, uh, that, to me, that's exactly the way to handle this is to say, this is this is great. This is what we do. We appreciate anybody taking a look at this stuff. And here's how we, you know, here we we actually see that these are, you know, in in our metrics, good numbers. And sure, they might have found other things, but really, those things don't matter. We really focus in our industry on the things that make people sick, not the rest of the stuff. Um, and uh, the Turkey Federation did something a little different, which I don't like. <laughs> and their headline is a little bit more negative. National Turkey Federation refutes alarmist, quote, study in Dick Fingers on uh, ground turkey. Um, the NTF strongly disputes the misleading findings of Consumer Reports. I mean, this is exactly what Consumer Reports is trying to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and yep. they yep. they played right into it. Uh, well, Consumer Reports protects consumers. The the industry turns around and says you've got it all wrong and you don't understand. Where AMI did a, 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 a you know it's a it's a change. It's it's kind of a, a breath of fresh air to say you know what thanks a lot and we don't think they're so bad. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's like it's like a judo move, right? It's like you yeah. use it's you use your your opponent's momentum and strength against them, and and and, and yeah, I mean, and and AMI, I mean, all 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 all, all props to to AMI and and to Betsy for doing this. They, it's really it, they just really like do a judo flip on on NSF, and and I I had completely missed this, so thank you thank you for linking to these. And this is this is really this is really an excellent case study to sit and to look at these two articles mm-hmm. that are so different right i mean you're you're absolutely right uh this 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 uh turkey federation one plays right into their hands it's it's the standard you know you got it all wrong you know you don't know what you're talking about whereas whereas ami says yes yes exactly you're exactly right we are we are uh one-tenth the regulatory limit (laughs) yeah yeah it it was yeah it it was just it's just wild like uh, you know the the last piece where you know, people get all trapped on making risk comparisons. It happens here from the NTF Vice President of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs, Lisa Picard. Pickard says, um, Enterococcus and generic E. coli are everywhere. There's more than one way they can wind up in food animals. In fact, it's so common, studies have shown that generic E. coli and MRSA can even be found on 20% of computer keyboards. I mean, seriously, why do you even have to put that in there? Why does it doesn't you're 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 trying to it it makes you look like you're trying to pull a fast one instead Mm -hmm. of saying, yeah, um, we don't really look for it because these are where all the illnesses are. (laughs) So, yeah, I I, I thought it was I just thought it, it, it exactly like you said, it was just such a great case study on here's. When it comes out, this is what it looks like. There's lots of stuff to to dissect in the actual consumer reports because they don't say anything about methodology. They don't say anything. I mean, really importantly to me, and probably, and this this came up from uh, I sent this to uh, Sophie Catharia and one of her grad students, uh, Leslie Good, and um, just for their co- you know comment on it because you know they work in Campy and yep. uh, Leslie's yep. doing some work right now. And her comment was, "It'd be really nice to know whether um, this is ground turkey with the skin on." And it would be really nice to know whether it was ground turkey that had been frozen at any time, because right. those two things probably affect the campy. Right, right. And I saw you, I saw you put that in the show notes. That's yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah. So it was uh, it, it was pretty it, it was pretty. This is a really good. This, this, you could, I mean, you could build an entire lecture uh, for uh, a class on communications and um, and really risk analysis mm-hmm. on this. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it, it was really good. So so yeah. I like I like the ground turkey. Well, so we uh, so we. Call I think that that's a show? a show. Yeah, it's eleven fifteen. This is it's getting crazy. I, we gotta I gotta I gotta get up soon. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get get writing manuscripts. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that went so well in the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. You yeah. have good weeks and bad weeks. Exactly. Well, hey, um, as always, this has been fun. Um, uh, appreciate all of your time and effort and to the listeners uh, for those of you who have not uh, gone to um, iTunes and commented or uh, rated us uh, in the iTunes store please do uh, it helps us uh, gain profile and also helps us uh, uh, make a better show because if you say that we should talk about more things then we will talk about them and if you say we should talk about less stuff we'll probably talk about whatever stuff you don't want us to talk about less because that's how uh, accommodating we are 
More yeah, of not not really, but but <laughs> go ahead and rate the show in iTunes anyway, um, and, uh, and 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 check out the website uh, foodsafetytalk.com. dot uh, com when when an episode a new episode posts, uh, you can go there and you can tweet it out to your friends or you can Facebook it or LinkedIn it out and uh, and and let let your friends know about the show. I mean, it's uh, it's it's certainly it's very gratifying to hear about our friends and colleagues like Donna Guerin who listen to the show. But to me, it's even more exciting when complete strangers uh, send me an email and say, hey, I, I, I really like your show and send me some magnets. Right. And uh, soon, soon there will be t-shirts. <laughs> I, I can't wait. Am I going to get one? Uh, we'll see. Okay. Maybe. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be good <laughs> now, until then. <laughs> okay. Well, you have to just go with your current t-shirt um, catalog. Uh, I have so many t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All, all podcast related. Well, of course. I need this one to complete the set. That's right. Yeah, we we'll, uh, we can do that. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, hey, it's been it's been fun. Uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later, Ben. Bye bye. Bye. I'm glad we did this because, I mean, so much of this stuff, if we had left it another week or two weeks, there would have been five other things that would have popped in um, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't have talked about it. It's good. We almost need to do this every day. <laughs> I thought you were going to say every week. No, I'm, I'm jumped to daily, daily show. Just a, just a quick half hour daily show live. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so they're uh, on this. Um, so Marco. <clears throat> Marco Arment and, and John Syracuse have this new show that's not on Five by Five, right? And they're apparently doing it live. So I'm I'm tempted to email them or their their co-host uh, Casey List and ask them how they're doing it and, and see how see how hard it would actually be. Yeah, we should, we yes, that's a good idea. So that like the three people that want to listen live can do that. Yeah, can you imagine there'd be people listening to us right now? <laughs> Besides the two of us, besides the two of us, in in different, yeah, could be it would be awesome, um, cool. Oh, speaking, I went I went to talk about this in the show. So, um, speaking of communication, people, um, I so I visited <clears throat> I visited a colleague at Oregon State this past week. He invited me out to give a departmental seminar series, and he's actually in the vet school and he's in the Department of Biomedical Sciences. So, but I did meet one person from food science out there. But the guy that took me to breakfast. Um, is a guy who studies chlamydia, um, which are fascinating organisms. Um, but he was telling me about he has this project. So he's very interested in recombination of chlamydia <clears throat> in the host. And there's apparently this whole complicated genetic thing that chlamydia do. Um, and, and you can be infected by different strains at the same time. And then they do this little recombination thing. But he wants to do data collection and he wants to get to, to go out and collect samples in the Native American communities uh, because apparently there are big problems with chlamydia and, and it might be an excellent way to study it. And we were chatting and then 
all of a sudden it occurred to me that what he needed to do was he really needed to talk to, he really needed to get a communications person on board to help him kind of sell the idea and work and, and, and like be the kind of the conduit for information to flow from the Native American community back to him. So he could talk about his scientific ideas and the communication person could you know, talk to the community and, and explain the ideas, but also take the, the community's concerns back to him. And uh, I was like, wow. Oh, cool. I think I really helped him. So my, my advice. <laughs> oh, and then and then after I did that, I told him about the podcast. So oh, sweet. we might have another listener. So so shout out to uh, to Dan Rocky at Oregon State, um, who's who's an awesome awesome guy and who studies chlamydia. That's cool. That yeah, uh, that's a good that's a good point on uh, to to bring up because he, he may be able to get you know as you said a ton more samples if he can get some buy in and trust. Um, yeah, well, and he just said he just keeps keeps having these conversations with them, and they're not really going anywhere. Mm. But but he also, I think, as he shared, he doesn't really um, like he he really feels like kind of out of his out of his element mm. when he when he talks to them about that. So <laughs> anyway, so I just I just I just felt happy that I was able to to share that with him. Cool. Okay, so um, we should think about. Uh, Let's do another one of these. Show? Yeah. yeah, we should. It's good. For, not, for, it's, we can't stop at 40, right? No, I mean, you can't stop at 40. It's not a round number. No. That could be our, our show title, except it's an after dark, and we don't <laughs> typically get it from that. Don't stop at 40. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got several good suggestions for show, good, for, uh, good. show titles. Um, so, I, really, I really like using my, my, um, my microphone. I'll have to see if I can take that into work with me. See, I'm, I'm thinking I might get another one for home. I, I, Danny, I, Danny already thinks I'm too nerdy. Yeah, but it's like it's so good. Um, all right, well, I got. I they're probably going to want me like before noon. So could we do it at nine? Perfect. Yep, I will have a triple venti <laughs> in my in my hand. Uh, nine a.m. Done. Perfect. That's good. Is on there, and then uh, looking forward. Let me just see. Mm-hmm. That works. So, um, then, so I'm going to, like two weeks from then is fairly open early in the week. Are you going to go to DC for the Alliance meeting? Oh, well, we're going to have to talk about this. So um, I, I am going to be in Brazil for the entire month of June. Oh, wow. Yeah. The whole month. The whole month. What is it? Rio? What are you, uh, what are you doing? Is it a, <laughs> is this a pilgrimage? Carnival, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, the um, uh, it's um, uh, Bernadette. Um, oh, whose last name I forget. But anyway, um, yeah, this is the Brazilian food safety mafia. So they they, they submitted to uh, Scientists Without Borders for funding to bring me there. That's so awesome. I'm going to visit a couple of university, three different universities, and give a bunch of talks and and work with them on some research projects. So cool. So you're not sure what you're. Um, the internet situations. Could be like. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they. I, I'm pretty sure they have the internet there because I've I've sent them emails and they've answered them. Yeah, but it could uh, all be at one office. <laughs> so you, I don't. You not might be booked up. <laughs> I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to find out. Um, like if they, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they have high speed internet there. I don't. I don't know how well it'll work to talk to you. I don't know. I, I got. I got to work on that. Okay. Well, that's that's not a big deal. Um, like right now, um, yeah. I'm so, and you're, you're really gone like the whole month. That's yeah. Uh, yeah like okay. I, I, I leave on the first and I come back on the 31st or whatever. Oh, 
that's yeah. crazy. You are you're gone so long. You added an extra day in June. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Well, we can figure. I'm I'm going to be in Canada for a week in the middle of June too, which okay. I won't have internet uh, because, in fact, the town um, where we grew up um, does just just have it at the Tim Hortons. So. <laughs> It'll be difficult to get in there and do a podcast with all the others that are trying to do the same thing. <laughs> That's where they podcast from. That's right. It's Podcast Row, <laughs> as they like to call it in Port Hope. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, June's uh, okay. We can figure that out later on. Anything else? Mm, I don't think so. All right. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. I'm, I think I'm going to do likewise. Okay. Well, glad to. Uh, <laughs> That sounds well. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep tight. <Yeah. laughs> oh, that's weird. We can't do that. All right. <laughs> that's very creepy. Cut that out. Yeah. No, that's perfect. I'll cut that out. Okay. Do that. Good. All right. Well, Andreas will still get to hear it. Uh, oh yeah. So I'll I'll put I'll put this in uh, the Dropbox for Andreas. Awesome. Good. And you've been recording this time. Huh. Um. Yes. It looks like I have. Good. Good. I also and, have. Yeah. Redundancy. Uh, Okay, very good. <laughs> All right. All I'll right. talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. Bye.